Greetings, this is Douglas Kimple, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill. And joining me today is John McLean, Portfolio Manager on our Corporate Credit and High Yield Strategies. Today we're going to be discussing something that's been in the news quite a bit, uh, some of it good, but most of it bad, uh, the triple B component of the investment grade universe and where there may be opportunities uh, even when you're looking relative to the high yield universe. So, John, to get us started, uh, maybe provide a, a quick background on the space, both investment grade and high yield, and, and what do we mean when uh, with the difference in credit ratings? Sure, uh, and I think to start, People have talked a lot about the performance in high yield to start the year. We're up almost 9% uh, as of the end of April. But the long triple Bs have actually outperformed that part of the market. When we look at credit ratings and an introduction into the market, the high yield index is roughly a $1.2 trillion market. And double Bs account for about half of that, so about $600 billion. They're considered to be the highest quality part of the high yield space. Then when you look at triple Bs, they're the lowest rung of the investment-grade bonds. They were $750 billion in size at the end of 2008 and have completely exploded in size and now are more than $3.3 trillion, again, more than 50% of the IG markets. So really, this part of the market is extremely important. When we look at the growth in triple Bs, it was driven by interest rates, which moved meaningfully lower, and corporate borrowers were smart. They tapped the investment-grade market. They went long. Duration crept out on the triple B index. It was inside of six pre-financial crisis. It's now north of seven. And that's something we've seen in general when we look across fixed income is this duration creep. So the area you're talking about is, is sometimes referred to as that crossover credit. So that, that threshold between investment grade and high yield. So triple B, double B, and, and where names can move back and forth between that. But is this an area that you've been focused on more recently? More recently, yes, but since I joined D-Hill, it's, it's made sense to focus more on credit risk as opposed to interest rate risk. I came in in the middle of 14, which was halfway into our most recent economic expansion. You know, at that point, companies had been successfully growing top line and improving margins, and you combine that with a benign inflation uh, environment, that's been the Goldilocks type of environment for high yield, and so we've concentrated our efforts and resources there. Meanwhile, if you juxtapose that with investment grade, you've got companies that have been taking advantage of frothy fiscal and monetary policy to engage in shareholder-friendly activities, dividends, share buybacks, large-scale kind of M&A. Companies have, importantly, voluntarily moved down the rating spectrum, which accounts for a good chunk of the growth of triple Bs. We have certainly paid attention to the area, but given the fact that the Fed was hiking, and rate risk was real, meaning rates were moving higher, we shied away from that part of the market. But we talk a lot about leveraging all of the resources at Diamond Hill, and we've really been able to partner with our colleagues, particularly Mark Jackson, as he lives in the investment-grade market, and he's got a great feel for liquidity, valuation, and, and general market dynamics. So what is it right now uh, that makes Triple B so compelling? Well, I hate the classic mean reversion trade, but valuations right now, valuations are a decade-level tight. So the delta, meaning the difference between triple Bs and double Bs in terms of spread, is roughly 60 to 70 basis points. That's averaged. 
more than 150 to 60 basis points over the last decade, and over the last five years, it's been more like 120 basis points. That gap is, is very narrow, and if you go back and you look at the end of the last cycle, which was in the middle of 2014, double B spreads at the time were roughly 30 wider than they are today, and triple Bs were roughly the same. So we're at a point now where double Bs are trading inside of the last high-yield market peak, so all we see is, is down, downside from here. You know, if you go back and you say, well, what happened over the next 12 months? Double B spreads moved out about 100 basis points wider, while triple B spreads moved out about 50 basis points. So really the opportunity is that you can upgrade your portfolio if you're a high-yield manager by going into triple Bs, and you're not giving up that much yield relative to what you see in the double B space, and you're improving your overall credit quality. So you know, what is it that we like so much about this trade? Why we like the trade, you're buying better businesses late cycle. That makes sense to us. You're buying better credits. These are big companies with a number of levers to pull to maintain this strong free cash flow generation we look for. And importantly, companies now are focused on balance sheet improvement. And then the second component of this is duration. And duration's actually your friend at this moment with the Fed uh, on permanent pause. So when we think about the trade, we look at upside and downside. And from a downside perspective, we think we have better downside in triple Bs. So if you have the same spread widening as we did after the last high-yield market peak, double Bs would be down about four points. As, as spreads would move out by about 100 basis points, and the duration on the double B part of the market is around four. So simple bond math, move out 100 basis points, multiply that by four, that gets you four points of downside. With triple Bs, they'd probably be down about three points as, as spreads move out 40 to 50 basis points and the duration's seven. So you have a little bit better downside um, in a typical widening environment. If you go back to 2008 and you see how spreads really moved out, double Bs gapped out much more than, than that 100 to 50 basis point perspective. But from an upside perspective, we also have better upside in the triple Bs. And it's because of the convexity that they have. So if you look at the high-yield market right now, duration on high-yield is like 3.6, 3.7. It's about as short as it's been, and it's dominated. And this duration tightening is actually because of long double-B paper trading above par. So think of bonds with 4, 5, 6% coupons. 2025, 2026 types of maturities, trading above par, and trading to calls in 2022, 2023. I got news for people. I don't think most of those bonds are going to get called at the first opportunity. And if we see any sign of stress in the market and credit spreads starting to widen out, then there's some duration extension that we're going to see in double Bs. But your upside's capped because of that call. Whereas with triple Bs, we're actually trading at lower dollar prices. Many of these are trading below par. You have companies that issued uh, in spreads in the low to mid 100s. Now their bonds are trading in the mid to, two, mid to high 200s. And so you're buying bonds below par, which from our standpoint, from a credit enhancement perspective, is also beneficial because we're owed – Par, if we're buying a claim at 90 cents, then that helps kind of cushion some of uh, the downside in the market. So we think this trade has both better downside protection as well as better upside capture. So this may be, this may be a dumb question. Uh, I hope it's not. but There are no dumb questions. Uh, well, just wait until you hear this. But it sounds like a great opportunity. 
Um, but as we know, as great opportunities appear in the marketplace, the market makes them go away because people take advantage of that. So why is this trade available uh, for what we're doing within our strategies? Yeah, it, it's actually pretty interesting. It goes to market structure and the fact that most managers are siloed and they're focused either on investment grade, credit, or high yield, but not both. So if we break it apart and we say, what's going on in high yield? Well, from a double B perspective, there's a strong technical of money coming into the asset class right now. And then when you look at how my colleagues uh, across other firms are positioning themselves, they're saying, fundamentally, we're late cycle. So we're going to move up in terms of credit quality. You don't want to be the person buying triple C's right before the market uh, falls off of a cliff. And then you look at from the investment grade side of things uh, with triple B's, as we talked about before, that part of the market has grown rapidly and it's performed pretty well. So managers are already overweight that part of the space in their market and they would also probably want to be trading up in quality, meaning there isn't a meaningful bid for many of the names because the investment grade managers aren't buying them. And most high-yield managers won't take this meaningful off-benchmark position because it goes to, again, headline and career risk. We talk about this frequently. For high-yield managers, if you're taking an off-benchmark uh, position, you're taking career risk. For investment-grade managers, there's been a lot of headlines associated with triple Bs and the worry of a massive flow of downgrades. But I think you've got to, again look at what's actually happening, separate fact from opinion. So for the fact of the matter is that upgrades, companies that have gone from high yield to investment grade are rising stars, have massively outpaced downgrades, the fallen angels, the companies going from investment grade to high yield this year. Going to high yield from investment grade is also very different than this voluntary downgrade of moving from single A to triple B. These large capital structure businesses understand that they want to be an investment grade. And from our perspective, it's made sense from them. And from their perspective, it's made sense uh, to take on additional leverage going from single A to triple B. But I don't think we want to cross that threshold into, into high yield. So we've covered the market. We've covered the differences within the high yield and the investment grade space, where the opportunities lie. Um, where you can upgrade a portfolio and, and still benefit, which sounds great. It sounds pretty straightforward, and you've talked about why the trade is available. But as with anything in the marketplace, there's risks. So what are the risks associated with this type of strategy? Yeah, the risk is picking the wrong names, right, catching the falling knives. And there's absolutely going to be downgrades, and some of them may actually be compelling opportunities. When you go back and look at the last time we had a large swath of downgrades, it was the entire commodity space. And that did present fantastic opportunities driven by panic sellers. This time, it's going to be much more broad market. And if we do start to see downgrades, it's going to be a function of deteriorating fundamentals. So that's where having this bottom-up fundamental analysis is crucial, identifying idiosyncratic issues is key. We need to find good management teams aligned with us, and that means they're focused on debt reduction, and we need to find the firms with durable free cash flow generation. So again, it's finding the needles in the haystack, and it's also saying, look, not every name is going to be something that presents a compelling value proposition, but we need to be looking at all of these large capital structures.
Let's talk real world example. Um, you and I have talked in the past about you know Ford and GM. So let's talk a little bit about what they've done so far this year um, on the shorter side of duration. Yeah, and this goes to again differentiating between the two. You've got two large U.S. auto OEMs. Um, I think certainly we feel like GM's in a better position than Ford from a fundamental perspective. But when we go back. And, and look at what was happening in December. Well, the high-yield market was close to new issuance. So when everybody got back to their seat from their holidays and we reopened the market in January, it was investment-grade companies that had to unthaw the market. And at that point in time, we honestly weren't sure of the market direction, and we were looking for attractive, low-risk positions. So Ford came to market and launched a bond deal at 325 spread for three-year paper. That spread was wide of the double B index, and for three-year paper was extremely attractive. You know, I, again, don't think the fundamentals of Ford are particularly positive, but is Ford going to be around in three years? Are they going to have the capital to pay us back? Absolutely. That bond now trades at uh, about 150 spread, um, so you've monetized four and a half points plus your coupon, and at this point you've cut more than half of your spread off of uh, off of Ford. So I think we were overly pessimistic coming into uh, the beginning of the year. GM followed suit and did a five-year bond. We're certainly more constructive on GM, as I mentioned. They did a bond deal at 262. That trades at 135 spread, or for everybody out there, you're up six points on the year plus your coupon. So those are your short examples. Do you have some, some longer duration examples that we can talk about? Yeah, so we've seen the market warm to global trade, and it's certainly less concerned with a cataclysmic fall-off. The Fed continued its dovish tone, and our view migrated towards the market, where rate hikes are now meaningfully off the table. You know, you go back to October of last year, and we were talking about two, three potential rate hikes in 2019. Now we're talking about rate cuts. So duration shouldn't be a meaningful detractor in the short to medium term, and it may actually help drive strong total returns, duration again being your friend. So when we looked for IG companies, we said we want to find companies who had spreads in line to or wider than comparable double Bs. We found a number of companies across sectors that fit our bill where we had strong balance sheets, management teams committed to investment-grade ratings, and businesses that could generate these long-term durable cash flows. And so when we talk about a couple of examples, just to frame it up, let's, let's look at a technology versus technology. So Micron, chip manufacturer versus Netflix. You know, we like Netflix and believe the company has a fantastic business supported by this $150 billion equity valuation. But they continue to access the debt market to fund content spend. And at this moment, they don't generate free cash. So when we stack up, we can look at very comparable font, very comparable bonds and find more attractive debt opportunities in investment grade. Netflix, you've got a four and three eighths coupon in a maturity of November of 2026. You've got a bond trading slightly below par at 200 spread. With Micron, you've got a 4.975 coupon, higher coupon, maturity inside of Netflix, February of 2026 and bonds trading a bit above par at that same 200 spread. The structure's important too. Both bonds are bullets, they're not callable. Then you look at what's been going on with these businesses. Well, Netflix was upgraded to low double B in 2018. 
Micron was upgraded to low investment grade in 2018. Netflix definitely has the bigger market cap with, you know, 150 plus billion versus Micron's 45. But Micron has more cash on the balance sheet, 9 billion versus 3. They have less debt, 6 billion versus 12, i.e. they have a net cash position. Uh, they're also expected to generate about $4 billion of free cash flow this year versus the $3 billion free cash flow burn uh, for Netflix. And Micron generates $14 billion of EBITDA, or is expected to generate $14 billion of EBITDA in 2019 versus Netflix 3. We like Netflix, but again, we see more compelling value in Micron given the better balance sheet with a shorter maturity and similar trading levels. And maybe we can look at uh, just one more example uh, on the longer duration side, if you would. Yeah, so for for this one, we're really looking at uh, not only a company versus the high-yield index, but versus other investment-grade businesses. So when we look at Altria, uh, they recently came to the debt markets to finance their $15 billion purchase of minority stakes in Kronos Group, which is a cannabis company, and Jewel Labs, the electronic vaping company. Their debt grew from $14 billion in 17 to $29 billion pro forma for the deals, so leverage grew by about a turn and a half to two and a half times net debt. Altria priced their new deal at a 295 spread and a nearly 6% coupon when the high-yield market was trading at 6.5%. So again, 295 spread relative to what we're seeing in double B land is pretty attractive, particularly when you start to see, see the business itself. It has a $100 billion market cap. Netflix is the only other high-yield company worth that much in terms of market cap. They generate $10 billion of EBITDA. Again, only a handful of high-yield companies are this large. And they should generate $7 billion of free cash flow pre-dividends, which is higher than any high-yield company. They also have a $15 billion minority stake in Anheuser-Busch that they can monetize at any point in time if they got into trouble. They have dominant market share in the industries, uh, but I think our market was highly skeptical of their acquisitions and what that meant for the long-term viability of their business. Now we look at why we like the 2049s, and these bonds highlight a number of dislocations. One is the relative value to comparable businesses. Two is the relative value within their capital structure. And three, we kind of talk about credit curve dislocation. So if you look versus a, a fairly comparable business, Anheuser-Busch priced a new 30-year bond deal in January at 250 spread, despite having leverage of north of four times. So four times for AB, two and a half times for, for Altria. A 295 spread, Altria was cheap to AB, and that didn't make sense to us given the fundamentals of the two businesses. Then you look at where were the old long Altria bonds trading before the acquisition announcements? And they were trading in a spread of 170. So we felt like there was meaningful spread compression available in the name to trade closer to pre-announcement levels with strong execution in the business on a go-forward basis. And then we really look at, okay, well, where do we want to be uh, on the curve? And with investment-grade companies, you have a lot more options. You can be in the front end, middle, long end. The 10s, 30s credit spread at issuance was 80 basis points, meaning the 10 years were offered at 215, 30 years were offered at 295. Typically, that spread is more like 25 or 30 basis points. Given all of this, we felt like these bonds seemed very attractively priced, and they've traded up more than eight points since issuance in February as credit spreads have collapsed by more than 50 basis points. And in this case, 
the long duration really amplifies the spread movement. So the 10-year the, the bonds have also tightened pretty meaningfully by 40 basis points, but they're, again, only up $4 as opposed to the, the $8 for the 2049s. So those are a couple of examples of what we're seeing out in the market, and I think dislocations like long triple Bs occur from time to time in credit markets, and really you need to have managers who have the structural ability to capitalize on them, deep research, having flexible mandates, having managers who are willing to have off-benchmark positions in their portfolio. That allows you to capitalize on these opportunities when we see them. Well, I want to thank John McLean, our portfolio manager on our corporate credit and high yield strategies for joining me today. Hope this has been informative and we'll talk with you soon. Thank you. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.